Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would give us your heart. Light the fire in each one of us that we might have the passion for the lost that you have, that we might give our lives, that we would take up our cross and follow the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm feeling slightly loud, Adam. I don't know if that's the same for you or not. It's ringing a little bit here today. What is God doing in the world today? Whatever it is that God is doing has massive implications for us. Let me give you some examples. If, uh, if God is helping people to live a good life, right? if what God is doing in the world is trying to help those who are hungry, rescue those who are in trouble, if he's trying to give everybody comfort and pleasure and wealth, well then what we ought to be on about is feeding the hungry, saving the downtrodden, looking after those who are in plight, right? That's if that's what God's on about, that's what we need to do. If God is on about bringing about world peace, right? The trajectory of the world under God's hand is from chaos and war to a utopia on earth, well, then what we ought to be on about is toppling tyrannical governments and overthrowing those who are wielding power unjustly, right? If God is on about helping each individual to become the best version of themselves, as some are very fond of preaching these days, then what we ought to be on about is creating freedom. The freedom for every person to express themselves exactly how they want to. If God is on about nothing, right? If he just made the world a while ago and then said, all right, Muff, you go do whatever you want. Well, that's the best one, isn't it? Because then we can do whatever we want. We don't have to worry about anything. There's no judgment at the end. What a great world to live in. Whatever it is that God is doing in the world today has massive implications because for us as his people, it, it basically it sets us on fixed tracks. If we are going to be on about what God is on about, well, we need to know, what is God doing? Now, I want to answer that question straight away. This isn't one of those sermons where you're going to have to wait till the end for the answer because the answer right up front determines our lives. Now, I hope you've still got 2 Corinthians open, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and look straight down at verse 19 for the answer to that big question, what is God doing in the world today? 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 19, that is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's what God's doing. The work that God is doing right now in this entire world, amongst all the people of the world, is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. How? The second half of that sentence, not counting their trespasses against them, and committing to us the message of reconciliation. Or to put it from Jesus' perspective, 1 Timothy 1.15, see if you can finish this sentence, here is a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to... Very good. Save sinners. That's what he came for. He didn't come to be an example, to give us some nice teaching, to teach us some fun songs, to... He came 
to save sinners. It's a very simple idea, right? If, if this is all you take from today, I'm putting it right at the front when you're still awake, right? Right? When you're still awake. Sorry, he told me to point at him if he was falling asleep. This is the idea you need to take away. God is reconciling the world to himself. God is in Christ saving sinners. And if we are going to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, then what are we to do? Oh, live the best life you can. <laughs> no. Do whatever you want. No. Fight against injustice. No. Good things. Save sinners. Come with me to Mark chapter 8, our first reading. We're going to do a little bit of work in there and then we're going to come back to 2 Corinthians 5. So you may want to flip a corner, put a finger in it, whatever it is you need to do to come back to, uh, to 2 Corinthians in a little while. But Mark chapter 8 to start with, I want to talk about Jesus' call to discipleship. You and I, we call ourselves followers of Jesus. If, if you're a Christian person, I take it you, you say that you are a student, you are a disciple, you are somebody who wants to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Well, come with me to Mark chapter 8. And listen to what Jesus had to say, verse 34. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, all right, here it is. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, if you want to be on about what he is on about, what do we do? Three things. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Do you want to follow Jesus? I hope you do. <laughs> you're going to follow Jesus, then what you start with is deny yourself. Say no, right? Deny is a very simple English word. David, would you like another chicken burger? No. Uh, yes. No, right? No. I've denied it. No. It's very simple. It's just to say no. Deny your... Say no to yourself. It's, it's a hard idea for us. Our whole world is predicated on say yes to you. That, that everything we are ever fed these days from our culture is all about you do you and let no one tell you otherwise. Jesus says, deny yourself. Say no, you are no longer your own. You are no longer you. In fact, the next picture is so brutal and stark. Take up your cross. We've lost a little bit of the sense of the weight of that, haven't we? Put, put on a piece of jewellery. <laughs> That's not what he means. Take up your cross. It doesn't even mean face the world of hardship. The cross was the Roman method of brutal, humiliating execution. Take up your cross means die. That's what it means. Defeated, humiliated, given up. The old me is dead. Not just I say no to him every now and then, right? Oh, David really wants to go and do that. Sorry, David, can't. Right? No, no. The old me is dead and instead what I am to do is simply to walk the footsteps of Jesus. Deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. To what? Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners well hang on David how far I mean there's got to be a limit to this right 
How far? Look at the next verse, verse 35. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. You see, it's not a case of, well, okay, I'll deny myself a few things. I'll give up a little bit of who I am. But the really important bits that I really like quite a lot, I'll just keep them. I'm going to save my life this way, if that's okay with you. No, Jesus says, everything goes. Lose your life for Jesus and the gospel, did you see? And the proclamation of the good news of what Jesus has done. We're different to Jesus. He came to save sinners by dying the atoning death as a substitute for us. We can't do that. None of us can and none of us needs to. Jesus has already done it. We're different to Jesus but we're still the same in that we give our lives for the gospel. I wonder, what do you, what do you want to do with your life? You ask yourself that question recently, what do I want to do with my life? Well, actually, if you're asking that question, you're asking the wrong question. What do I want to do with my life? The question is, what does Jesus want me to do with his life? This isn't mine. This is his. What does he want me to do now? What does he want me to do next? And it's easy to get lost in the big picture, right? It's easy to kind of, oh, it's too big. I can't even think about it. Just what does Jesus want me to do next? It can be the little things, not just the big things. Lose your life for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. Align yourself completely with him and his mission. Now, look, I don't know if you've felt this. I certainly have over the last four weeks. It's, it's, it's almost too big. Live to the praise of God's glory. Where, where do you even start? Immerse yourself in the life of righteousness, fighting against sin. <sighs> Hunger for his word. It's like, man, I, my heart wants to pour hours into it. And if I find five minutes, I feel like I'm doing well. It's just, it's too, passion for the lost every waking moment is too big, right? And it makes it, for me, very easy to get distracted. Often by good things, right? Family or church work, right? Honest work with my hands, enjoying the pleasures of the world that are good, that are given by God if received with thanks. There's so many good things that distract us. Let's be honest, there's a lot of bad things too, right? The, the selfishness, the idolatry of greed. I mean, there's all sorts of barriers in our way to being hungry for God. You know, you, you can't... You can't give your life to Jesus without being committed to world evangelism, to world mission. If, if you are a Christian person, then I take it what you have done is given your life to Jesus. That, that, that's what we've done, right? That's, it's re-establishing that relationship, God in the place of God, me as his creature, as his servant, as his slave even, purchased by him to be his. What God is doing in the world is reconciling the world to himself. You cannot give your life to Jesus without being dedicated to saving others. Because that's what he's dedicated to. Evangelism is not just one part of the Christian life. And it's certainly not one part that belongs to other people. <laughs> oh, the people who are good at it, they do the evangelism. 
The ministers, they do the evangelism. They can talk, man. They, 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 let them do it, right? Even the person sitting next to me, they can do it because they're really good at it. Me? Ha! That's right, Joe. You point at the people next to you. It's their job, right? What do you mean it's mine, David? No, no, no. Surely not. Your master came to save the lost. And he calls you to follow him. He sends you to save the lost. And I'll tell you what, he, he makes a kind of startling promise. It, the promise is that in doing this, in living this life hungry for God's heart, there's great blessing, which is wonderful and kind of what you expect to hear, but there's also tremendous woe. Do you remember we saw it uh, not too long ago in the Sermon on the Mount? Come back to Matthew chapter 5, one book earlier. Matthew chapter 5. And after this we'll go back to 2 Corinthians. So you don't need to keep a finger in Mark anymore. Matthew chapter 5. And just listen again to the, the Beatitudes, the blessings at the start of this sermon that Jesus preached. Matthew 5, verse 1, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called sons of God. And up until now, we're all going, Preacher Jesus, Amen! Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward in heaven is great. That is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me be very clear and honest with you. Christian, Jesus demands of you that you give up your life for the salvation of others. And he promises you that in the doing it will be unpleasant and hard and will involve suffering and ridicule and insult, that you will struggle and strive against it, that your life will be made worse because of it. But when that happens, rejoice. You're, you're in good company, you're in the best of company. It happened to the prophets. It happened to every messenger of God who walked into a sinful world and said, thus says the Lord. And know that your reward is great in heaven. But, but, it, it's a hard one, isn't it? What's, what's going to move us? What's going to motivate us? What's going to compel us to go out that door and take the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world that needs it, in, into the little boy who's lost looking for mummy? Are you my mummy? Are you my mummy? They're looking because they can't find the truth. And we have it. 
Well, I want to show you from 2 Corinthians 5, last passage, come with me to 2 Corinthians 5. I want to show you four reasons, four motivators to be hungry for God's heart. Four things that ought to compel us, that ought to move us to seek to save the lost. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and, and we're staying here now, we're not moving any further. 2 Corinthians 5, let me give you four reasons. Here's the first reason. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9, our fear demands it. This is the first reason. Verse 9, therefore, whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. We fear the Lord. And so we seek to persuade people. Now, I've changed my mind on this passage during the week. Well, it doesn't happen all that often, but there you go. I figured I'd be honest. I used to think that this fear wasn't Paul's fear, but his fear for others. That is, knowing the judgment of God upon the unrighteous, Paul was afraid for them and therefore seeks to persuade them. I don't think that works. I think Paul knows the fear of the Lord. He has his own righteous, godly fear of God. Now, let's be clear, it's not a salvation fear. right? If you look down at verse 21, Paul knows very well, God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul knows that he stands righteous before God. It's not salvation judgment that he fears. But a day will come when each one of us will stand before the throne of God and be called to give an account for what we have done in the time God has given us, for what we have done in the body, whether good or evil. We will stand before the judgment throne and the books will be opened and every moment of our life will stand in stark revelation before not just God but each other and God will say to us, I gave you 60 years, 70 years, 80 years. What did you do with them? I wonder if that's the fear that Paul has. Each one of us will stand before that judgment throne and there will be great reward, I tell you what. Paul talks about it in our 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 as he talks about these believers and says, what is our joy or crown of boasting before the Lord? If not you... You are our wonderful reward. He looks at those who've become Christian and those who've matured as Christian because of him and he says, hallelujah, there it is. There's my reward. I mean, how wonderful for you to think, to look around the room and go, you know what, I, I met with that person and read the Bible for six weeks. And do you know how it changed their life? How marvelous to get to heaven and see them there, maturing Christ. There's, there's so and so, I told them the gospel. I mean, it was a scripture, kid. It was 50 years before they became a Christian. But how marvellous to see them in heaven. What a reward. What a wonder. I mean, I, I, I love that thought, right? That the day will come when, when you, saints of Ingleburn, will join with the saints from Guildford and join with the saints from Petersham and join with the saints from, from Paddy, the churches. Where I, and I can say of you, here you are. What a delight. What a reward. What a joy. 
But likewise, what a moment to stand before God. What did you do with your life? I chased after shiny things. I frittered it away, watching the idiot box. I was too busy, I'm sorry, God. Do you know the fear of the Lord? I don't know which is worse. To stand before God and give an account. To stand before each other and have ourselves exposed. God did not save us for a life of comfy, middle-class indifference which is so easy to slip into, isn't it? Church is nice. The fans are on. It's a beautiful morning. Christian people are so lovely. We can fill our week with ministries and being with each other and lots of cups of tea, delicious biscuits, wonderful singing. The preacher, you know, every now and then he gets on his hobby horse, but most of the time they're not too bad. Life's good. I mean, that, that suffering business? The fear of the Lord demands it of us. But you know what? There's more reasons. Reason number two, God's love demands it of us. Have a look at verse 14. I mean, it's, it's right there in the first few words, isn't it? The love of Christ compels us. But notice why. We have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Christ's love compels us. That doesn't mean that Jesus has warm, happy feelings towards us, therefore we ought to have warm, happy feelings towards others. That's not how Christ's love compels us. Christ's love is his death for us. Remember John 3.16? Right? Our translation doesn't really help us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right? I think the CSB actually has it slightly more helpfully. For God loved the world in this way. How did God love the world? Jesus died for us. The love of Christ means that each one of us has died in him and now live for him. The love that compels us is the love that says you are now mine bought at a price. So live for me. Compelled because his love bought us. Motivated because we know that our lives belong to him. It's so hard to see this truth, honestly. It's so out of step with our sin that wants self-autonomy and our modern world that proclaims the individual above all else. To think that you are someone's slave is just so utterly foreign. Uh, like it, it, it's, it jars against our way of viewing the world. It, it crashes against our own selves of who we are. No, I am mine. The love of Christ says, no, you belong to Jesus. He bought you. His blood paid the price. So you are now his, such that you live no longer for yourself, but for the one who died and was raised. Which gives us our third motivator, right? First one, fear of the Lord. Second one, the love that Jesus has shown towards us in purchasing us by his blood. 
third one is that the new creation demands us to share in God's heart. Look down at verse 15 again. <clears throat> Jesus died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on then, we don't know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him this way. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Jesus' resurrection began the new creation. He, he is the first bit. He is the new creation, right? He, he, he was made new. There's the new creation begun. Such that now when we look at people, we no longer see them the same way. We make snap judgments all the time, don't we? <clears throat> Fat, thin, healthy, unhealthy, rich, poor. Going to pay attention to them, not going to pay attention to them. <laughs> You walk into a real estate agent and they say, can we help you? And you say, yes, I'd like to rent a property. And they say, well, over there on that counter is where you need to go, sir. Thank you very much. You walk into the same real estate agent. How can we help you? I want to buy a property. Come into the office, sir. Can we get you a coffee? <laughs> we look at people now and we think God's creation could be new creation. One of God's waiting to be saved. We look at people now through the lens of the new life that Jesus has begun. All made in the image of God. All needing grace. Every single person can be one more of God's. And so, here's the last reason, reason number four. We live out our appointment. Have a look at verse 18. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God is reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us therefore we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us and we plead on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God what is God doing in the world an incredible thing that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ through us. You are an ambassador for God. Yeah, you know what an ambassador does, right? They, they go to somewhere else and they just take a message. That's their most simple function. They speak someone else's words. I don't speak for myself. I speak as a representative. I bring you the message from whoever sent me. What message do we have? God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ. So please, come and be reconciled. There's, there's an assumption in that, isn't there? Reconciliation assumes that there's a problem. It assumes that there's enmity. You're not reconciled with your friends. There's nothing to reconcile. You're reconciled with those you're in conflict with. We go to those who are enemies of God and whom God will judge should they stay as his enemies. We go to those who are perishing and we bring them the good news. Today is the day of salvation. God is offering to you the death of his own son. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. 
Have you, have you learnt how to speak those words? You don't have to use these exact words, by the way. You, you don't have to walk around quoting verse 21. Um, that, that m- look, God is kind and that may achieve great things if you just start saying that to everyone you know. But have you learnt to speak the gospel yet? Uh, I, I feel like it's, it's almost a, a sim- too simple a question, right? But, but if you've never tried, if you've never articulated, if you've never just spoken of your faith to somebody, if you've never tried to tell someone, what is it that God wants them to know? You need to practice it. Find a Christian friend to practice it with. Find someone you know and trust and say, I honestly don't know how to tell somebody else the message of reconciliation. Can, can I try with you? You do it with a Christian. Of course they're going to say yes. Absolutely, they might even help you. You never know. Have you learnt to speak those words? Because we are ambassadors. Those are the words we have. We have no other words but those. So, Paul says, don't receive God's grace in vain. Chapter 6 and verse 1, working together with him, we appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. At an acceptable time I listened to you. In the day of salvation I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Are you a Christian? I mean, as we, as we wrap up this whole hungry series, as we, as we talk about all the hungries and what it is that we are to do, are you a Christian? In other words, are you somebody who has received the mercy of God to pay for your sin, who has received the new life that he creates in you as a result of that by his spirit, such that you have given your life back to him, given it to Jesus, I am yours. Have you? I mean, the label Christian can be worn by many different people. I want to be clear what we're talking about. Salvation came at the price of God's Son. He died for you. He has forgiven all of your sin. If so, I want you to know that that's the beginning. This is the journey you have before you to follow the footsteps of Christ. It's a marathon, right? You know what really matters in a marathon? Very good. Finishing it. <laughs> Everything else is kind of irrelevant. Right? You can start it. whoop de do. You can wear shoes or no shoes. You can wear a full body tracksuit or shorts and singlet. You can wear a hat or no hat. You can run fast or slow. You can stumble and fall over a bunch of times. You can lose your way and take a wrong turn. What matters is finishing. If you've begun the Christian walk, you've begun the Christian marathon, how will you finish? Hungry for God's glory? I mean, this is the start of the year, right? This is 2023. Please don't think like you've got to go home tomorrow and do it all now. Start little ways now. Hungry for God's glory. That you want every day that you wake up to live to the praise of who he is. You want people around you to say... God is good because of you. Is a year where you'll be hungry for God's life? I'm going to fight against sin. I'm going to get help. I'm going to stand with brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to chase after righteousness. You're going to be hungry for God's word. Start, start small. 
Start, if you're not doing five minutes a day, start with five minutes a day. If you're not doing ten minutes a day, start with ten minutes. Hungry to be fed each day. I mean, what a powerful message last week, right? To receive God's power, to know God's purpose, to understand who God is, to know the truth that he gives, to be sustained. All of this coming out of God's word. Ultimately, that God would break our hearts for the lost. Will this be a year where you are hungry for God's heart? Christ came to save sinners. That is the master that you and I follow. That's the life. That's the marathon we have before us. Now, Joe's going to help us think through that a little bit more very shortly. But I want to commend to you the next song, the next prayer, the next set of announcements, the end of church and what you do next. To start, like, it starts now. With every single moment of your life, what am I going to do that's going to honour God, that's going to live His way? Every little decision, every next little... Tomorrow morning when I wake up, what am I going to do? How am I going to put this into practice immediately? But I also want you to make sure you put time aside for the big picture. Okay, this, this shapes my whole life. Can I, how can I just keep doing what I'm doing when I know all of this to be true? I hope you've set time aside for those. Uh, maybe it's happening in your small groups, in your Bibles. I hope it's happening in those spaces. Start now and put time aside to think through it in the big picture. Will you make 2023 a year where you are hungry for God's heart? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus, for his death in our place that saves us. Father, teach us that we are beggars who have received the bread of life, that we might desperately share it with the other beggars around us.